0: This is the podcast for Centerpoint Church, located in Hendersonville, Tennessee. My name's Jason, and we're on this series called You're Not Good Enough. How's that for motivation? But the reality is, is that we aren't, as human beings, good enough. And that's not what God wants for us. We're gonna be looking over the next couple of weeks at the book of Galatians. I'm excited for us to dive deep in the scripture. Let's jump in. I am thankful that you're here. Happy Labor Day weekend, the faithful remnant that is here. When you have Labor Day mixed in with rain in the forecast, those are the things that keep a preacher up at night. Uh, But you are here, so give yourselves a hand. Come on. Some of you, that's going to be the only time you clap this whole service. We are continuing this series called You're Not Good Enough. Now, if it's your first time here, you're like, man, does it get a little more motivational than that? Sort of, yes. But we're going through the book of Galatians. And so the series is called You're Not Good Enough, because the idea is this. Paul is writing to the church of Galatia saying, you will never be good enough to deserve the forgiveness of God. So stop trying. Now, we're going to unpack that a little bit, but let me remind you, for those of you that weren't able to be here the last couple of weeks, The church of Galatia was established during Paul's first missionary journey. So he establishes a network of churches during his first missionary journey. He goes back to Jerusalem. While he's in Jerusalem, these Christian Jews that history calls the Judaizers, they come in and they start preaching a Jesus plus gospel. They start saying, yeah, yeah, salvation is with Jesus and it starts with Jesus, but then you also have to do, and they started saying all these Jewish traditions. And, 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 and Paul is like, no, 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 no. It's Jesus. And it's only Jesus. And anything else besides Jesus is a perverted, untrue gospel. Then last week, one of my favorite sermon titles I've ever had, Rocky versus Drago, Peter versus Paul. And, and it was this, this uh, uh, in Galatians chapter 2, Paul talks about a confrontation that he had with Peter. Now, I want to see a fight between Peter and Paul. Like, put that thing on pay-per-view. I'll buy it because I want to see that. Like, I want to see who's going to win. Like, kind of reminds me of Tyson Holyfield back in the day. Some of you have no idea what that means, but it was epic. Like, he bit his ear off, and it was just it was, it was just one of the, the peak moments of my young adult life. And yeah, yeah, my brothers and sisters being born and, and me giving my life to the Lord, and that's important. But the Tyson Holyfield, like, he bit his ear off, go back and walk. Watch the clips on YouTube, but that has nothing to do with Peter versus Paul. Peter versus Paul was this idea that the Judaizers came in. They were presenting this false gospel. Peter was hanging out with the Gentiles, which means the non-Jews. And he had a moment where he could have stepped up to the Judaizers and said, no, 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 no. Those are the traditions of man. Those are the traditions that uh, we used to have to go through when we were Jews before the Messiah came. But now we don't need that. But Peter didn't do that. He kind of cowered. He backed up, he was silent. And what we said is, as for you and I in the church today, when false teaching creeps into the church, I believe God is expecting you and I to stand up and say, no, 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 that's not true at all. But we don't. Now notice I said the church, not the world, the church. Because false teaching creeps into the church all the time. You wanna know why? Because most of the time churches are led by imperfect human beings. Ta-da! And as my pastor says, sometimes sheep bite. And so it's a room full of imperfect people in a man-made establishment. And so sometimes there's messiness. But how often do we not want to speak up when we know there's a false gospel preaching because we're afraid of being canceled by the woke? And that's what Paul was mad at Peter about. So now we're going to be transitioning into chapter three and four of Galatians. But before we do, I wanted to wrap up a little bit from last week because I wanted to know, did Peter and Paul ever reconcile? Like, how did Peter take that chastisement from Paul? Like, did he cut his ear off? Did he cuss him out like he did the little girl? Like, how how did Peter handle this? And you got to remember, this is post-Pentecost Peter, a very mature Peter this time, still prone to messing up. But come on now, so are you. And so I want to know, so just a few years later in Acts chapter 15, we see the Jerusalem council in which it's a gathering of church leaders and they're talking about how they're going to address these issues that are showing up as the church is starting to spread. And, and, and uh, Dr. Luke is going to, he writes the book of Acts and he's going to write a little bit and he's going to tell us what Peter says. So Peter stands up and says this, this is a few years after his chastisement from Paul. Acts 15 verse 5. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. Salvation plus the law. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers... You know that some time ago, God made a choice among you and the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. Now, hold on. He's saying we know that the salvation is true because they also received the Holy Spirit just like we did. If it wasn't true, they wouldn't have the Holy Spirit in them. But since they do, now we have to fall into the teaching that they have full access to God, just like the Jews had previously. Verse 9. He did not discriminate between us and them, Jews and Gentiles, Jews and non-Jews, for he purified their hearts by what? Faith. Not by actions. Faith. Now then... Why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have ever been able to bear? He's talking about the law. No, no, we believe that it is through the grace of our Lord that by, uh, that our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. Now we talked about this in week one. Galatians has six chapters, and just for you OCD people, you're welcome because it's split up into perfect thirds: one and two, three and four. Five and six, so take a breath, it's fine. But one and two are a personal letter from Paul, the personal part. Three and four that we're going to talk about today is the doctrinal part. It's like a little mini book of Romans, and two chapters squeezed together. And then five and six are the uh, applicable, the applicable parts, and we're going to be getting to that next week. But this idea that permeates throughout three and four, chapters three and four, is why would you ever want to go back to the law? Like, now that you've received grace, what, what on earth is, is in, in, in enticing about going back to the law? Like, why would you even like, consider that? Now, by the law, we mean man-made religion and, and, and things that you had to do. And, and, and last week, we talked about that the law was to show that we're not ever going to be good enough. So now that we have free access of grace, why would we ever go back there? And, and, I, and I want to take you on a journey to a town called Baxter, Tennessee. Now, if you have no idea where Baxter, Tennessee is, you fit into the highest percentage of society. And it's only an hour away from y'all. You can go visit it. You can be there in an hour. They got a McDonald's. They don't have a Walmart. That's probably why you never heard of it. Walmart's like, if you build it, they will come like, but, but it's Baxter, Tennessee. I was a history teacher in Baxter, Tennessee. And what was interesting was at the time, the population of the school was mostly kids who were raised on farms. Now, I don't know if you know me that well, but I'm not really exactly a farmer. Like, I played Farmville one time on Facebook a while ago, but something tells me that's not really the same. Kathy's like, oh yeah, I still play that. Like, like, and so like, I would ask these farmers and these kids questions. And then what they would do is, I started to realize quickly that they're kind of messing with me. Like they would answer questions about a farm that clearly weren't true, but because I didn't know, I just believed them. And so then I would go home and tell my wife, hey, did you know that they do this on a farm? And she's like, oh, Jason, <laughs> Jason. Cause she was raised in Montana where they hunt. Okay, I also hunt. I just hunt for good deals on clothes. Hey! <laughs> but that's not even in my notes. That joke is free. Unless you want to pay for it. But he was telling me this story, this farmer. I was talking to him. He was an old man. And and, and he was telling me this story about what happened on his farm. Now, again, remember, I don't know what's true and what's not because... Farmers are like preachers. They embellish a little bit once in a while for a good story, yeah? Maybe I'm doing this with this. Who knows, Cody? But but this, this farmer was telling me about one day when his wife came running up the path to the farmhouse and she said, get your shotgun, get your shotgun. There's an eagle in the chicken coop. An eagle, like a bald eagle. And so he grabs his shotgun like any good member of the NRA would do and he goes running towards the chicken coop because the eagle's clearly there to eat the chickens, right? Or like mess them up a little bit with um, talons? Yeah, of course, talons, yes. And, and, and so like he, he, he's scared and he runs down there and, and he sees something he doesn't expect. He sees this eagle down here and it's acting like it's a chicken. It's hanging out with the chickens. It's, it's, it's balking, is that what it's called? the noise they make? Of course it is. Yes. And then and, and he's walking like a chicken and he's talking and walking and eating like a chicken and eating feed or whatever chickens eat. And then and, and the farmer was like, what is an eagle doing here? This majestic bird that people love. They take pictures of. And they're like, I saw a bald eagle today. Here's the video. When was the last time you did that for a chicken? Probably when you went to McDonald's and got a 20-piece chicken nugget, right? But that's not what he's talking about. And, and, and so this idea is, is that this farmer is like, what are you doing here? Don't you know who you are and you're down here amongst the chickens? Now, hold on for just a moment. I'm about to segue us into a deep theological truth, believe it or not. In Galatians chapter 3 and 4, Paul is trying to tell them, you are now children of grace. Don't go back to the law. You're an eagle. Don't go to the chickens now. You've already tasted what freedom is. Why would you go back to a coop and a cage? Don't you know who you are? You are children of the Most High King, but you have been allowed to be convinced that you belong back with the chickens. And so as we are reading into chapter three, I want you to think of that, of Paul saying, who, do you not know who you are? Why would you ever go back? As promised, chapter three, verse one. You foolish Galatians. By the way, that's where Mr. T got it. I pity the fool. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? One translation says, who, who, who fooled you? How'd you fall for this? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. I love this part. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Listen to that for just a moment. Pause that for just a moment. How'd you get the Holy Spirit in you? Did you follow the algorithm of the check marks of the things you have to do to be a good little Christian? And then God's like, hey, good enough. Guess what? You passed with a C. You get the Holy Spirit in you now. He's saying, how did you receive the Holy Spirit? Did you do anything to make yourself a worthy vessel for the Holy Spirit to come in you? Or did you receive it by faith in Jesus? Jesus. It's so simple when we hear it out loud. You're like, yeah, of course I didn't do anything. But yet we act as if you and I think we have to be good enough for God to be proud of us. Verse 3, are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, you are now trying to finish by means of the flesh. Do you not know who you are? You've now received the Spirit, but you want to go back to what man made. Verse four, have you experienced so much in vain if it really was in vain? So again, I ask, does God give you the spirit and work miracles among you by works of the law or by you believing what you heard? See, for Paul, he's, he's writing this idea that receiving the Holy Spirit is identifying characteristic that you are a believer. And the flip side is if you are a believer, then you will have the Holy Spirit in you. And there's nothing you could do to earn the privilege of having the Holy Spirit in you. Now, I'm not saying that there are not actions that can quench the Holy Spirit. We're gonna get into that a little more next next week, but 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 I do believe that there are things in your life, there's habitual sin, and, and, and there are compromises made over time that can dull the voice of the Holy Spirit in your life, and that could really limit the power that he, he can have through you. It's just the same as I could have bigger muscles if I worked out. Now, here's the dirty secret. I have just as many muscles as the most muscular person in the room. We have the same. One of us exercises it a little more than the other. And so that's the idea with the Holy Spirit. Just the same obedience over time and spending more time with the Lord and knowing more of the heart of the Lord can harness the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus was talking about that he said, when you preach the gospel and cast out demons... We have access to that. But, but Paul is saying, you received it by grace. So what else do you think you need to do to earn it? Because you're not good enough. So now what Paul is about to do is he's about to, now that he's established that again, just to remind them, he's going to transition now to what we're going to spend most of our time on today. And it's this idea of being adopted. Adopted. Now, my subtitle of my message today, for those of you who are taking notes, and if you're not taking notes, how are you going to remember this? Y'all can't even remember what you had for dinner two nights ago. Right now you're trying to think. Nope, no, I don't. (laughs) My subtitle is called The Perks of Being Adopted. The Perks of Being Adopted. Because we are adopted, you and I have the power of a certain amount of rights, But before we jump into what Paul wrote about this, if you've spent any time under my teaching, you got to know this by now. There's three things that I elevate above everything else when studying the word of God. Context, context, context. It's very dangerous if you read the word of God and your first line of thought is, what does this mean to me in 2022? No, I do believe that there are deep theological and spiritual truths that are still very pertinent to you in 2022. and I believe that God can still speak through his word. But the first line of defense in translating scripture is to allow scripture to translate scripture. And so we say this fancy word here at Centerpoint all the time. It's called hermeneutics. And hermeneutics is who wrote it, who's the author, who are they writing to, who's the audience, what is the author's intent? And then the last part we, we forget sometimes is how does this apply to the entire story that God is creating through his word? How does it fit into that? And so I think that if we're gonna really understand what adoption meant, I don't necessarily care what adoption means to you and I right now. I wanna know what would it have meant to the original audience because Paul chose that word on purpose. So what does it mean? But don't worry, I studied so you don't have to. Like imagine me as like the greatest tutor of all time. Like I gave you all the test answers, okay? You're welcome. Some of you are like, where were you in high school? I probably wasn't born yet, Gerald. The best way to interpret scripture is to allow scripture to interpret scripture. So the word adoption in Roman society would have meant very different. Remember, the Church of Galatia was full of Roman citizens. It was a Roman colony. And, and they were predominantly Gentile, non-Jew. And so Paul's writing to a, a group of people who everything they look at would be through, they would be sifted through Roman culture and the Roman Empire. In fact, when you read the New Testament, you can't really understand all the New Testament unless you understand Roman culture. And so it's a great thing to study. But adoption meant something a little bit different. In, in, in Roman society, when you were adopted... You gained all the same legal rights as the legitimate children. In fact, you, you could, if you were adopted into a family, we, we saw this with Emperor Nero. He was adopted into a family, and so because he was older than the, the biological oldest son, he actually usurped him and became the next emperor. And so you, you're not like a, an accessory. Like, you are a legitimate child. So sometimes this was actually a foolproof way to make sure that your dumb children or your children that make dumb mistakes don't mess it up for everybody. <laughs> so, like, when you were dying, if you had a ton of money left over, but your oldest child isn't so great with money, you could just, you know adopt your niece or nephew that was older and now they get the money because you know that they're going to be smarter with it. Don't you wish you could do that sometimes? I'm thankful uh, that you can't because I'm the oldest son in my family. But but here's what you need to understand though, and this will give us a greater context, because Paul is gonna be painting a beautiful picture of you and I being adopted into the family of Christ. And, and it's the idea of that whatever happened to your old family, the moment of adoption, it's no longer held against you. So you and I, if we fall into some financial issues, we can declare bankruptcy, or if your parents are bad with money, it doesn't really affect you as soon as you're grown and can get out of the house, but that wasn't true in Roman society. If your family was bad with money, they could sell themselves into slavery for X number of years until they paid off that debt. And if they were never able to, guess who takes on that slavery debt? The children and the grandchildren. So now you have generational poverty and generational slavery all because of the financial ruin of your parents. But when you were adopted, none of that was held against you anymore. Hold on to this. Lean in because this is some deep theological truths here in this history lesson it was never held against you anymore. It literally was viewed as a new life, a new starting point, like pass, go, collect $200, like this next journey is brand new. And none of that other stuff was held against you. Not their reputation, not their financial ruin, not their situation, it was a rebirth. So imagine what it would feel like to the church of Galatia when Paul is saying, if you give your life to the Lord, you are adopted into this family. He's saying that whatever I've done, whatever I'm doing, none of it's held against me anymore. It's a rebirth, it's a renewal. That's we're celebrating, church. Can we lift up a shout of praise? Come on. I'm halfway done, it's time for you to wake up. What also is interesting is this, is that when there is an adoption, it's a binding legal agreement that cannot be reversed. Do you hear that? Now, your biological children, their parents still have the right to disown them. You can still kick them out of the house and just go fend for yourself, be like Mowgli and go get raised in the jungle. Like, you could just kick them out. But you couldn't do that with the adopted child because it was legally binding for their life. Once you were adopted, you were adopted. It cannot be undone. We need to hear this deep theological truth, sir. Y'all, don't be mesmerized by my charisma. Like, lean into this. Because now we're about to jump in to verse 26. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through what? Through actions. You're children of God because you're good enough and your behavior is fantastic through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. Verse 28, the so one I told you was the most important verse of the entire book of Galatians. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, underline those two words, and heirs according to the promise. What Paul's going to do during this time is he's presenting this picture of that God gave the promise to Abraham. Remember Father Abraham? If any of you ever went to vacation Bible school, you say, Father Abraham had many sons. You remember that? Many sons had, that's enough. This is this enough? Oh, now you want to, now you want to engage with me. All right. Uh, <laughs> yes, yeah, good. Uh, and, and so clearly that wasn't uh, Father Gerald or Father Jason or Father Thomas because we only have daughters, right? But Father Abraham had many sons. And, and so what, what God is, he gave a promise to Abraham and all of Abraham's descendants. And what Paul is trying to say is right here, now since we are a part of the family through faith, all of the promises that were made to Abraham, we now receive because we are adopted. When I married my wife, or when she married me, depends on who's telling the story, she took on my last name and my checking account, which I don't mean to brag, but it's got hundreds of dollars in it. And all of a sudden, when she took my last name, guess who had access to that checking account with all those hundreds of dollars? My wife, too. And it's the same thing that Paul is trying to say, that if we are now in the family, then that 401k plan that God was telling Jesus he was about to have when he went back to heaven, you and I have access to it. And because of the Holy Spirit, when Jesus said, when I leave, my father's gonna send the one and now with him, you can do even more. It's this this thing that he's trying to build is this idea that we are adopted into the family now. Verse four, chapter four, verse one. What I'm saying is this, as long as the heir is underage, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to the guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also when we were underage, we were under slavery until the elemental spiritual forces of the world. Now, hold on for a minute. That can be confusing on the surface. What he's talking about is people who were followers of God before the Messiah came. And he's saying that we were subject to the authorities. We had to have a certain number of sacrifices and we had to follow this certain algorithm so that we could be right with God and so that we were slaves to that system. This idea of uh, 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 giving back and forth. What's the word I'm looking for? Exchange. That's not what I'm looking for. Give and take. Yes, what else? You know, those type of things. Thank you for your help. It is this idea of uh, uh, whatever you reap, you sow. There it is. This idea that before Jesus came, like if you sinned and did this, then this was the payment. You had to pay what you, what you charged. And we were under that slave of that, those forces until verse four. But when the set time had fully come, in the fullness of time... God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. For what purpose? To redeem those under the law. And then here's the whole thing. That we might receive adoption to sonship. He's painting this picture of, I I want you to imagine for a moment if a guy owns a company. It's a Fortune 500 company and he's the owner. I I hope he's tithing to center point. But if he's the Fortune 5 company and he's the owner, he has somebody... Who's running it for him? He's got a CEO. He's got a COO. He's got a VP of some sort. And that person is very important to that company. But he also has a son. And his son might be underage. His son might be new in the company. But make no mistake that when this man dies, it's not going to go to his VP. It's going to his son. And guess what? The CEO of the company, his picture is not on the owner's fridge. He could color pictures in a, in a coloring book and make a craft at VBS. That's weird if a grown man who's a CEO of a Fortune 500 company does that. But if he could do that, and then his son made one, the father wouldn't hold it up and be like, well, the CEO, no, no, because it's his son. And his son can go running in his office a lot different than his employees can. And that's the picture that Paul is trying to create here. The the last verse that we're going to cover is two verses. The last section is verse 6 and 7. And this is what we've been building up this whole time for. So don't check out on me. We're still going to get out early enough to beat the Methodists to lunch. Don't you worry about that. 6 and 7 is the entire thing that we've been setting up for. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out Abba, Father. Underline those two words. So that you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. I want you to hear that for a second. You know this is important because the mood music just hit. Abba, Father. It's an Aramaic word. Literally translated, it means papa or daddy. Now, that's a little weird for two different groups of people. It's weird for dudes most of the time because I'm like, I'm not going to pray and say, Dear, dear papa or dear daddy, but you can. It's also difficult for the people in the room who had or have a not so good relationship with your earthly father. And sometimes that's hard, and I understand that. But I think that's why God allowed us to have this access of his character is to heal that and to show us what a real father looks like. This this phrase, Abba, really started to have An impact on me when when I went to Israel a couple of years ago and 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 we're in Capernaum and we're staying at this hotel and they have a swimming pool of course they also have a McDonald's and 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 we were in the swimming pool and I was hanging out just looking at the Sea of Galilee going this is unbelievable and and I see a father a local father that was there playing in the water with his two children and in particular, I noticed how he interacted with his daughter. And, and, and she was young, probably five or six. And the dad was doing what we all, all all of us dads do with our kids when we're in the pool. Throwing them, dropping RKOs out of nowhere, like all kinds, you know, just roughhouse. And, 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 and he threw his daughter just a little further to the deep end than he probably meant to. And she literally turns to him and she yells, Abba, Abba, Daddy, Daddy. And I was like, wow. Now I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it because now scripture becomes so much more alive to me. You see, she didn't go into the deep end and say, I can't swim, let me go ahead and follow the algorithm to make myself worthy enough to call out for my dad to come save me in a time of turmoil. No, 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 no. It never even crossed her mind because that's her father, that's her daddy, that's her papa, and when I'm in a moment of trouble, who else would I call to? If you're new to Tennessee, We have some pretty crazy weather They can go from blazing hot to a huge storm back to blazing hot again and and my daughters are scared to death of storms thunder lightning they're scared to death they're cowards but but they're scared to death i'm kidding the the reason that they are i think is because we lived in cookville in 2020 and a tornado came through and people we knew didn't make it uh, I also think that just thunder and lightning, according to Queen, is very, very frightening. And and, and so, I, <laughs> it's funny. Come back to me real quick, I just should have said that. I had you right here. But this idea is, is that when, when my daughters ever get scared during a storm, they run straight downstairs, they go straight into my bedroom, and they expect me to make them feel better. Now part of me is a little annoyed because like, can't go back to sleep but i want to paint this picture because this is the whole idea of galatians three and four is that my daughters when they are afraid when they are frightened when they don't know what the future holds nothing stops them from running into the presence of their father and saying abba daddy papa help us we're scared and so what paul is telling the galatians is you've experienced that kind of forgiveness that kind of intimacy that you now have access to of god because of the blood of jesus why would you ever want to go back to the law Why now that you have access to the Father's house, to the Father's room, to the presence of God, would you go back to wanting to do the things that are traditions and go back to the law? Why would you want to have that separation again when you can have intimacy? And and here's what we have to think of, and this will be the last thing. There's people in this room that are going through something difficult. Some of them I know, some of them I don't. And if we're not careful, we will allow our behavior and our current state of sin to trick us into thinking that we don't have access to run to God when we are scared, when we are going through something difficult, when we are entering a season where we do not know what the future holds. And it would be like if my daughter was scared during the storm and she said, well, my dad doesn't want to talk to me right now because my room's not clean or I can't run into my father's bedroom and I'm scared because I talked back to him a day or two ago, and they do. So instead, I think I'm just gonna stay up here and be scared to death, or maybe I'll go down the street and go to the neighbor's house. No, 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 You come into your father's room because you are my daughter. So when she goes to school and her classmates are saying something to her that makes her self- self-esteem lower, I don't want her going to other classmates. I don't want her to just deal with it. I want her to come to me so that I can remind her who she is because she is mine. So now that we have that access, why not take advantage of it? Because you're not good enough to deserve it. And that's the beautiful part of it. It also means that you can't be bad enough to not have access to it anymore. So my challenge to you this week is to lean into the, char- the part of the character of God that is Abba Father, that is Daddy, that is Papa. And for some of us that's gonna take a, l- a lack of pride. For some of us that's gonna take a little bit of intimacy. For some of us that isn't gonna be easy. But I, uh, my prayer pretty early on in this journey was I wanna know God on the deepest level that any human being has ever known God in the history of this, this earth. So whatever it takes God, that's what I want sometimes I regret that prayer because it's not easy but God never promised us that this would be an easy journey he said it would be worth it